0: If you're a parent and you have a child that comes to you and speaks their truth, you reject that truth on whatever basis it is that you decide it's false, you're going to alienate that child. You know, I understand that we need, as an adult children, and Denise, I know that your podcast is specifically targeted to parents of adult children. But once again, we're still your children, even when we are adults, and you are still the authority in our lives, even into our adulthood, even to, I'm, I'm in my late 30s now, I have never found a substitute for my father's voice.
1: Welcome to the Bite Your Tongue podcast. I'm Denise, and I'm joined by my good friend, Dr. Ellen Broughton. We've been through many years of parenting together, and now we're ready to talk about the ins and outs of parenting adult children. Your diapering days are over. Now it's time to consider when to bite your tongue. So let's get started. First of all, welcome to Bite Your Tongue, the podcast. Thank you so much for joining. I hope you're having as much fun listening as we are recording and talking to all these wonderful people. Ellen's not with me today, but I know I've got all of you, my supportive listeners. So let's get started. Today we're talking about LGBTQ, both in general and for parents of adult LGBTQ children. Even as I named this podcast, I learned pretty quickly that I was already behind the eight ball. Instead of LGBTQ, I learned that the acronym LGBTQAP is much more inclusive. I felt really dense and totally uninformed because I'd never heard of this. I've since learned since talking to my guests that it stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, questioning, queer, asexual, and pansexual. Hence, LGBQQAP. They also said many people just use LGBTQ to be much more inclusive. So when I first thought about this episode, it was because as a mid 60 year old woman, I was struggling with fully understanding the LGBTQ community. And a few years ago, I watched a documentary that Katie Kirk did on National Geographic. It was called Gender Revolution. It really opened my eyes and wanted me to understand and learn more. And that's why I really thought of this episode. And I thought it was appropriate for all of us, whether you are or are not a parent of a queer child. There is a huge need for all, particularly in my generation, to understand and accept and learn to be an ally of this community. It just makes us all better people. So I'm hoping that this podcast will be twofold a deeper understanding for all of us of the queer community, and also some tools to be better parents and allies. Today, we have two people I've had the pleasure of getting to know over the last two weeks. They will share with us their journeys and also help educate us so we know more about this community and also how we can become more supportive. Let's welcome Levi Ticci, the President of the Board of Directors of PFLAG Denver, and Stacey Shigaya, who is the PFLAG Denver Board Secretary. I'm not going to give you a bio on each of them. I'd rather have each of them tell you a little bit about themselves. We're going to start with Levi. Levi, I'd like you to introduce yourself, tell a little bit about yourself, but also about PFLAG Denver, because I don't think everyone knows about it, and I'd like them to know a little bit more about that, too. So it's all yours, Levi.
0: Uh, Thanks, Denise. Thanks for having me here um, and for inviting PFLAG Denver to participate in this uh, podcast that you have. It's a pretty neat opportunity for us, and we really appreciate it. Uh, My name is Levi Teachy. My pronouns are he, him, his. Um, I was born and raised in Lexington, Kentucky, and I moved to Denver in 2017 uh, to be a park ranger for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, which is a part of the Department of Interior. Um, I became a member of the board of directors of PFLAG last year in January uh, in 2020. COVID hit, and things took a little bit of a spin. And our president was outgoing at that point, and we were having trouble recruiting board members. And I was a current member who was interested in leadership positions. So I ended up becoming the president. Um, My history, I grew up in a small Um, evangelical community in Lexington, Kentucky, and was kind of sheltered my whole life. And uh, when I hit around six or seven years old, I started to realize there was something a little bit different about me, but I didn't have words for it. And I definitely didn't feel safe expressing it. And then fast forward to puberty, it was kind of the same situation, except for on hormones. Um, And then fast forward another few years in my early 20s. And I started to realize and also had opportunities to express myself And realized I was a trans man. And so my journey led me through um, one contract through the Navy, going to college for a natural resources degree, and landed me here. And I'm ever appreciative of the opportunity to share my story. Can
1: you tell us just a little bit about the mission of PFLAG? Just tell us a tiny bit about what they do, and we'll get into more of that later.
0: Absolutely. PFLAG is one of the oldest, if not the oldest, organizations in the world for um lgbtq uh community um specifically to educate allies Uh, allies started it allies got really tired of watching their friends and family members get uh beat up so to speak by the world at large back in um stacy correct me if i'm wrong maybe the 1960s i can't do math very well 60 i think we're coming up on our 50th anniversary soon 50 yeah 50 years is soon so w- that you know allies got really tired of it they started an organization it was mostly mothers and um, uh, from what I understand the original chapter actually did get it start here in Denver so we are the original wow. chapter mm-hmm. although there is a little bit of debate about that <laughs> <laughs> Stacy's shaking her head no I've gotten some pushback <laughs> on it but I I'm, I'm a firm believer that we got let's started just here. take
1: it Levi let's just take it
0: <laughs> absolutely. So uh, PFLAG is one of the oldest organizations that has been fighting for these rainbow community rights. And, um, you know, allies just got tired of watching us get beat up left and right. And uh, mothers started to think, we are tired of watching our children get stomped on. This is ridiculous. They're human beings, regardless of their sexual attraction, regardless of their gender identity. We do not care. And started to fight for us. And slowly as a community, we started to gain rights because of our allies standing up for us, people like Stacy. And we ended up now where we have a little bit of a foot in the door and we're able to speak for ourselves. And we still have those allies standing right before us, right beside us and right behind us. And and that's what flag is all about. We educate and we advocate wow. for the LGBT community. I just
1: love the way you talk, Levi. I don't know why you have such a sense of yourself. And we've had some pre-conversations prior to this, and I just love how you speak. You you mentioned ally all the time, and you know both of you use words that... I wasn't even familiar with, and I didn't know. I mean, I had sort of heard Ally, but didn't realize the importance of it. So I'm going to have Stacy introduce herself, and she actually does play the role of an ally. So if you could also address that too, I think um, it's so much a part of all this, but all of us don't get it completely.
2: Sure. And thank you for, you pronounced my name perfectly. So my name is <laughs> Stacey Shigeia, My pronouns are here. Uh, I am the extremely proud mother of two grown children. My daughter is 23. My son will be 26 next month. God, when they turn 30, I think I might freak out. But um, my my son is a cisgender straight male. My daughter is a cisgender pansexual woman, and we'll we'll talk about what that means. I think in a little bit. But um, I just wanted to to clarify that P flag stands for Parents, family, and friends of lesbians and gays. And uh, nowadays, we just go by PFLAG. And there are over 300 chapters around the country. There are also uh, chapters outside the United States. And that's really important for places where uh, the LGBTQ community is discriminated against even more so than in the United States where it's actually a crime to be part of the community. So to have these types of organizations that support people just being themselves is really important. And you know, Jean Manford was the mom who marched in a gay parade with her son, and and was the beginning of P flag in '72, and said, uh, like Levi said, you know, this is my son. I, I support my son regardless. So, I it just warms my heart. The more people I meet in the community and within allies, and you know, allies are supporters and advocates for the community. But one of the really, really important pieces to being an ally is to not assume that you know what the community wants. So for example, I'm a third generation Japanese American. I wouldn't want someone who is not Japanese to assume that in order to support me, they want to do it on their terms. I would want for them to have a conversation with the Japanese community and say, okay, please you know, talk to me. How can I support you? And, and as allies, that's exactly what we need to be doing as well for the LGBTQ community, which is why it's so valuable to have people like Levi um, and other members of the community on the PFLAG board uh, in um, communication with PFLAG so that we can have a two-way conversation of what, how we can best serve the community. We can't do that in a vacuum. We need the LGBTQ
1: community to help us be effective allies. I think that's true with almost anything, you know, to be the most compassionate person or the most empathetic person, you always have to experience it or learn from someone who has experienced it. No one can put their feet in someone else's shoes. So that was really valuable, Stacey, and I really appreciate that. You know, I said sort of at the beginning of this podcast, I want to apologize in advance if anything I say is not um, sensitive enough or politically correct, because I'm doing this because I'm trying to learn too. So my earlier conversations with Levi, he so sensitively corrected me. And I noticed almost immediately, I already blew it. When Levi introduced himself, he said, I'm Levi and my pronouns are... Um, would you say that's something that all of us should be doing all the time? If I go on a meeting on zoom or meet someone, do I say my pronouns, are she, her, or what, 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 do you suggest? Either of you can answer, but one of you have to,
0: <laughs> it's probably a matter of the context. Just, just like anything you experience in life, you know, it, it's a context situation. So if you're already familiar with the people, it's probably not necessary Um, If you're meeting somebody new, then absolutely. If you're comfortable as an ally presenting your pronouns, that's going to invite space for those people whose pronouns may be assumed. And they might not feel comfortable giving those to people they've never met before. They don't know that it's a safe space. And immediately when you do that, you create the safe space. Doesn't always mean that they're going to step into that elevator with you, but you've Given them the opportunity if they need it, and that is literally what allyship is: is you are creating the the safe space for us because otherwise we don't know if we are safe right now.
1: Interesting.
2: Okay. You know, I, I, Denise, I've actually been seeing on especially with all these Zoom meetings we do, and everybody has a little you know moniker at the bottom of their screen, and reading um, articles and seeing people's signature on a letter. I've seen more and more where the pronouns are added next to someone's name. And I, I think it, it does what Levi said. It, it tells the community that this is a safe space. But I think it also says a lot about the person who takes it upon themselves to identify what their pronouns are, especially when they're not part of the community, because it makes everything more inclusive. This is normalizing something in a good way. It just makes it where it's not a big deal and it shouldn't be. Everybody should be able to express themselves for who they think believe them themselves to be in a way where they're not accepted and and nobody says well you don't have the right to put your pronouns there because i don't think you're that gender i think you're this gender so i i just think the more people do it especially if their intention is genuine and sincere and not for some diff- you know political reason or p- by political i mean i don't mean literally political i just mean you know they have a an ulterior motive for something I just think it's another way for us to be an inclusive society.
1: Gosh, I'll admit something. I probably shouldn't admit this on air and I'll probably have it cut out, but I typically don't use my pronouns and I've started to try to, but when I wrote to all of you, I used my pronouns. So I was trying to be respectful of your community, but I also realized I need to take that wider. Um, I'm a little embarrassed to admit that. You know what I mean? It was like because it was your community, I was doing that. But anyway, all right, let's get going. I'm going to start with Levi. Levi, when I talked with you earlier and we were prepping, you were so great again at explaining some different things. Let's start with what exactly is sexual orientation and how do you define it? You know, when I first started this, my episode was, you know, LGBTQ. And then Stacy sent me some information and that longer acronym came into play. And I thought, what the heck is this? This is really throwing me for a loop. Why is it so important to have so many identities? How can you help those of us who are confused or say, you know, why is it necessary? What do we need all these for? And Stacey, again, you can pop in at any time. But, you know, as a, how would I say that? As someone who's not. Someone who's in the learning okay, process. Someone wants- who's in the learning process. I would like to really understand that.
0: Well, I think probably because um, it kind of goes back to that word assumption, that word assume that I use. Like when you look at somebody and you you size them up according to your cultural prescriptions and the way that you see the world and the way that you've learned, about how to see the world, it's important for you to understand that not everybody has um, the privilege that you have to see the world that way. And me, me being a trans man, I also have to recognize that I have a privilege of being um, a white man. I also am straight, which means I'm attracted to women. So when I walk about in the normal everyday world and people see me, they just literally see a, a straight white man. I mean, I'm a little short, but other than that, I have what's called passing privilege, which means that when people see me, they see the person that I want them to see and they assume that I am the person that I want to be seen as. And so they, they do use, and they hear my voice and they do use the proper pronouns for me. When I introduce myself, there's no confusion about who I am or what name I want to go by. So it, you know it's not a matter of like, why do we need all these identities? It's not a matter of need. It is a matter of these identities exist. And the, the, the bottom line is most people and i say that with a little bit of chagrin because i don't know that it is most people but i would say normally when you meet somebody when you're out and about they are presenting as the person they want to be seen as and they don't have the they don't have the dilemma of oh am i safe to tell this person that my pronouns are different than what they are assuming am i safe to tell this person that i go by a name different than the name that is on my ID that they just had to look at because I was purchasing something? Am am I safe to do these things? And so it's not really a matter of identity. Like, do we need all these identities? The matter is we have all these identities. These identities exist. You have all these identities, Denise, and um, yours are just more evident to those that you come into contact with. Whereas some of us don't have that privilege. You know, uh, Kind of
2: a way to make an analogy to that. And I'm finding that The more I learn about the community, the more analogies help me personally is, again, I'm Japanese American, so I'm Asian. Well, if someone said, oh, why can't we just say you're all Asian? Why do we have to say you're Chinese and you're Korean and you're Filipino? Well, the reason why you have to say that is because it's the truth. That's what it is. There's, you know, that's reality. So the fact that it makes some people who aren't members of the community either confused, exhausted, frustrated, that's. Uh, that's the the onus is on the person outside of the community who has those feelings, and they're they're perfectly legitimate feelings, but they need to remember that their feelings don't have anything to do with whether or not these different members of the LGBTq community exist or not. They do exist, they're there, that's reality, and so it's just a meshing of comfort levels and finding out more about what are these differences that you don't understand. And then even if you find out about them and you still don't understand and you're still confused, that is okay, but it doesn't negate the fact that these other identities exist.
1: So I'm just going to play devil's advocate a minute. And I remember a few years ago when it was announced on Facebook that they have now 58 gender options for you to choose. It sounded overwhelming to me. You know, I just said, how could there be so many? And my daughter set me straight and just said, "Well, what does it matter to you as long as it makes someone else feel comfortable to be seen and to be included and so i she you know I backed down, I got that completely, but do I, as an ally or again someone learning, have to know what all of those mean? I sometimes think, aren't we just people with what you know do we need do I need a pronoun I mean maybe You know, are we just people and how important is our sexual orientation really?
2: If we didn't have people being discriminated for their sexual orientation or for the color of their skin or for who they loved, then you're right, Diane, it wouldn't be a big deal. But I think because we have judgment and we have discrimination and we have violence and we have hatred, that's why it makes a difference.
0: I'll say this as a member of the trans community. I actually got kicked off of Facebook not once not twice, but three times Why? because I changed my name because oh, I changed yeah, my name. Yeah, yeah. And they required me to send them a picture of my photo ID. And then when I did it the first two times, they misnamed and misgendered me on my profile against my will for several years, enough to make me log off of Facebook for three full years. And just recently I found out that they had changed it. And because I joined PFLAG and that's a large part of our, our audience, I logged back in for the first time. And I had never intended on being on Facebook ever again.
1: Interesting. Um, but
0: they had a very transphobic name-changing policy for quite yeah. a while. And I was friends with somebody who was named Tequila Sunflower. That was not their name. <laughs> Nobody ever asked them for their ID. But because I changed my name and one person decided to report me, that happened to me three separate times. Well, I have
1: to say, I, I belong to an organization and we were at first called I Sing Beijing. We changed our name to I Sing International Young Artist Festival, and Facebook wouldn't let us change our name. So there probably were some other situations. But you see, that didn't affect me personally as yours affected you. You know what I mean? I just – it didn't – and I can understand fully how that would really affect me if it was my person. Does that make sense? Um So just know that yeah. some other people did – Yeah.
0: What affected me the most is that I actually found out that at least the first time, I'm not certain about the next two times, but at least the first time it was because somebody who personally knew me actually reported me as a fraud. Oh my gosh. They did it as a personal oh, attack. Got it. And I'm pretty sure it was a family member and I won't out them. But yes, that was a thing that happened to me and that Facebook allowed. So, you know, like it, it is one thing to have a misunderstanding when you're running a corporation a business right, and exactly, a, exactly. a, a group. That's yeah. It's, it's also really frustrating. Yeah. Um, but it was it was it was definitely a targeted incident in the first case.
2: And in Levi's case, and in cases like other cases, like that, basically it's denying your personhood. And it's similar to when people say, oh, you know, I don't see color. Everybody's the same. Well, no, we're, we're not the same. And by by saying there's no color, you're basically you're basically denying our peoplehood, you know, right, us right, as persons right, right. and how how what our who we are. So there's that fine line between understanding that too many labels can separate and create divides, but there's the flip side of that, which is allowing people to be themselves, to live their lives fully and genuinely, and to support that just makes people blossom more and build bridges and has the opportunity to, to be so much to do so much good in communities and in our world.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'll piggyback on that and just say, I, I think when you, when you have the privilege of not having to struggle to be identified, then you take your identity for, mm-hmm. uh, and your identity for granted. A big part of me being the, the man who I am today is that I'm seen and identified as who I am comfortable as being. And when you're not comfortable in your own skin, it makes it really difficult to navigate the world. It makes it difficult to succeed. It makes it difficult to just be human. It makes it even difficult to help others because you can't help yourself. So that that's one of the primary reasons why I'm I'm here now joining, you know, being a part of PFLAG is that I have the self-empowerment and the mental headspace, the mental wellness to do so. And And when we deny people their identities, or, or if you just you know try and gloss over it, why do we need all of these? Then you're denying them the opportunity to be their true, authentic, 100% contributive self.
1: I really appreciate that, Levi, and I hope my listeners do. This is so helpful. And I guess I want to say we're going to get to some more personal things and also about parenting adult children, but we're doing a little bit of this background work too, so all of us can become better allies. So I'm going to move to Stacey as an ally and a mother of a pansexual daughter, which I had never heard of pansexual until I started speaking with you. Can you give us a basic overview of the basic gender terminology, including gender attribution, gender identity, gender assigned at birth, and gender expression? I noticed all those terms in the information you sent me, and truly, I, I could guess, but I'd like you to tell us what all of them really mean.
2: Sure. Until my daughter uh, and I had our conversation five years ago, I guess it's six years ago now. I, I didn't know what pansexual meant either. I, I literally said, "You're going to have to tell me what that means." And basically, it means that. And this is just this is I'm giving you the the definition of pansexual from my personal point of view. So some, because I think that there are some people who are pansexual who have a little different uh, take on it, but. It's basically that it doesn't matter if the person that you are attracted to is male, female, bisexual, transsexual, they just look at you for the person that you are and not how you uh, identify your gender or, or what kind of biological gender you have. So to answer your question about gender attribution, that's basically the gender that we believe someone else is. We're attributing them. With some gender characteristics, so I might look at someone. I see that they have false eyelashes on. They're wearing a dress. Um, you know, I might say, "Okay, that's that's a female." So that's gender attribution. Gender identity is how someone sees themselves. So I'm female. I identify as a female. The gender assigned at birth has to do with biologically your biological makeup, your chromosomes, your your hormones, your uh, genitalia. And then when you're born, the doctor sees that and assigns you, you're either male or you're female. And then, and gender expression is how you basically choose to express your gender by do you wear makeup? How do you dress? How do you behave? How you interact with other people. So, you know, someone can have a gender expression that appears to be what we have socialized as female, but in fact, they they might identify as a male for whether it's because that's who, who they feel they are as a person or or that's their um, gender assigned at birth. It does get a little overwhelming maybe and confusing. and I think it's just the only reason is because we're talking about it in one conversation. But if you ask somebody about these different things just casually, I think, they would realize that they kind of already maybe know some of this stuff it's just never been talked about in this type of a discussion well there's so many social constructs in our in every society and the ones that we are talking about in this context are you're you you're you're born you're they assign you as a girl they put pink bows in your hair you wear pink boys wear blue uh, we expect boys to play with trucks. We expect girls to play with dolls. We assign all of these things because of a, for a lot of reasons. A, it's what we think that's what we're supposed to do because we've been doing it forever. It helps us in our minds to categorize how we're supposed to treat different people, which in and of itself can be a problem. We shouldn't treat girls differently from boys in certain ways because that, we know, causes a lot of issues. This whole participation on my part of, of being trying to be a good ally is to take a step back and start really questioning what are some of these social constructs that we've been living and which ones work and which ones don't work and which ones do we need to kind of um, alter so that we all of our lives could be better and we're not projecting things onto people
1: that we shouldn't that that makes sense. You know, um when you said this can be confusing, I think sometimes, you know, for me, I'm always sometimes afraid to say anything. As much as I want to be an ally, I'm so afraid what I'm going to say aren't the right words and then I'll be insulting. So that's why I think this conversation's important, but I don't know that I'm always going to remember every single one. And again, I'm going to try to engage someone and be an ally, and I'm going to put my foot in my mouth. But we're all working on it. It's a journey, I think, for all of us. You know, Denise, that is exactly what it is. It's a journey. And because it's a journey,
2: I think what you just said is you start out with, I don't know everything. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to misgender somebody. Please uh, call me in mm-hmm. if I do that. And if you if you feel uncomfortable, uh, because that's the only way I'm going to learn. So I think that being able to say that up front with whoever you're talking to is one of the greatest gifts that you could actually give to that person because it shows them that you're trying and you're willing to listen and you're willing to, to learn.
0: And, and the front end work, Denise, that you're doing right now by educating your audience and educating yourself. I'll say this much. We, we want to speak for ourselves as a community because we are such a diverse people and we are so, you know, just if you get 15, 15 people in a room, they're all going to have 15, you know, they, there might even be 45 stories. You know, they all have their own own things going on. Doing the front end work is really important. If you want to be an ally, because when you come into contact with somebody, let's say who is trans, for instance, because that is my particular situation. So I'll use that as a, as the example. Um, we really appreciate allies who have spent time with other allies to vet some of those questions. And I don't mean this in any sort of uh, insulting context, but like in some of their ignorance to vent some of that ignorance to those allies, because it keeps us from having to have that emotional labor of of teaching. that. Uh And the allies don't necessarily, they have the emotional labor because they're defensive of us and they're protective of us. And they want us to be safe in this world but you walking into an allied space and saying, "Hey, I don't know how to navigate these waters. Can you please teach me?" That keeps the, the community at large from having to do that for ourselves and it's extremely valuable and that is really literally the reason why PFLAG got exists. Got it. Got it. Got it.
1: Um so Levi, I want to know a little bit more about your transgender journey, but mostly a couple things. What are the things you face in your daily life that you can discuss where our actions or you could give us some advice on being a better ally to transgender people? And also, because this podcast is about parenting adult children, in your discussion of your um, journey, it would be great if you could offer a little bit of advice on how parents. When they get the shocking news, and I don't mean to use that word shocking, but many times it is shocking for parents. What steps can they take? How can we help parents become better allies and more accepting? I know I'm keep talking here. You're going to have a lot to address, but you mentioned to me and you mentioned it in the podcast that you realized as early as five or six years old. And I kind of questioned you how could you know that early? So I think take us through your journey, how we can be better allies and, and advice to parents when they get this news from their children.
0: Uh, okay. Um, I can start with some of that. I might need you to guide me through. It was I kind know. Of a I'm, triple sorry, question, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry. That's okay. Um, I can start with my personal journey and just address the, how did you know that early in the same way that you knew who you were that early? Um, if you had any deep set discomfort about yourself, if you had, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of break down some of the of the glossary of transness for you, if you will. There's what's called a, a body dysphoria. And I think every person on Earth has body dysphoria. And I, I mean, I think every creature on Earth probably has some body dysphoria where you look at yourself and you think this is incongruent with what I think about myself and I don't like this. Um, and we have medical procedures that help myriads of that. And even all the way down to uh, my eyes don't see very well and you get glasses That's a form of dysphoria, right? So what happens with gender dysphoria is that the way um, and and the way that Stacey had summed up gender assumption is the way that you're being assumed as a person by the people around you, that your prescribed identity is incongruent with how you feel about yourself. And I'll be really honest and say that I think that our culture has a very binary approach to gender in the first place which is problematic in and of itself and historically there are cultures throughout history even within this continent with indigenous peoples that did not assume a binary gender spectrum you know there's a lot of room for us to learn from those ancient cultures even that they still exist a day i really think that for me around five or six years old i realized in the same way that you might have gotten your hair tugged by a boy and thought, oh that was fun I, I realized I liked tugging girls' hair that sort of thing um, and then I was growing up in this situation where it wasn't safe for me to even express that sort of thing. and of course at that age you don't really have an understanding of, of sexuality necessarily, but you do have a, a self-perception and you start to look around the room and think, hmm, all these people in the room with uh, with short hair are getting treated differently than I am, and I have the long hair, or I have this. And it actually fosters the sense of body dysphoria that transgender people have when they're in that binary situation. And I think that was my situation. And for me at that age, I also knew that I wasn't safe expressing myself because I grew up in a very closed evangelical culture. and, And that's how I knew in the same way that you knew who you were and you felt safe and comfortable as yourself at five or six years old. I knew who I was, but I didn't feel safe in that uh, to express And and
1: when did you come out to your parents and how did that go?
0: So my, my coming out process was very layered and happened over as I think it's happened over maybe 15 years or so. And I also, I need to designate that um, my parents split up when I was little, my mother, is uh, a separate entity from who I call my parents. And she's a wonderful lady and, and beautiful. And she's done her very best to be supportive and accepting of me. She's never had a naysay at all about any of this. She does have her curiosities and questions. Denise, I think, <laughs> and her would have some, some great conversations, honestly, about this subject. But she has been super supportive. Uh, my parents, my, my father and my stepmother, they're, they're also beautiful people. They have some religious hangups on my identity and my coming out process started in my early twenties to them. And at first, because I was already very aware that what I was, the things that I was heading towards, you know, this is what 2000, let's say 2002, 2003, we didn't have, at least I did not have the language or understanding about what being transgender was and it was my partner at the time who started to do some serious research because I thought I had a severe condition. I really thought I had some sort of split oh personality gosh. or something. I didn't know. I was, I was very taxed when I, I started to explore this and she was so wonderful to do a lot of research, even really before Google was much of a thing. And, um, and brought me this information and said, "I think this is what you are. What do you think?" And I read it and I said, "Yes, this is exactly what I am." And it was it was so refreshing to at least have words and verbiage for it. And but at the time, I also knew that it wasn't a safe thing still to present to my parents. Um, and I wasn't so certain about other family members either. Uh, so I just kind of went forward identifying as lesbian and in a lesbian relationship, which also wasn't safe. But because I was outside of their financial security and I was independent, it was fine for me to do so. Uh, and then I joined the Navy and Don't Ask, Don't Tell was still a thing. So I had to kind of closet myself at the time. And and that was actually OK. because You joined the Sorry. Navy as and
1: I want to try to say this right. Um, you're assigned at birth gender, right? or not?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yes. They, there was, there was not even an option to do so otherwise. Uh, And I also joined the Navy as uh, what at the time would have been considered an active lesbian relationship. At that time I joined and don't ask, don't tell was a thing. I, you know, got through boot camp. I got through training. I did a five-year contract. My training was about a year. So it was a technical rate, which is, they required a year of a contact, contract on top of your four-year contract for training purposes. I ended up getting stationed near Los Angeles and found some wonderful friends there. And even within the Navy, at the time, mostly, unfortunately for our gay friends, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was largely targeted toward gay males. They did care quite a bit about lesbians and whatnot, but transgender people were really not on the radar at all. And lesbians were more or less, it was that patriarchal kind of objectification. They just didn't really pay much attention to it. It, You know, as uncomfortable as that might make people to hear, yes, our military is extremely patriarchal and objectifying. And I I say that as a proud Navy veteran. So I'm not, I'm not smudging our, our, uh, our service members. I am a service member, but that is the case. At that time, I got stationed near Los Angeles And I was able to make a lot of friends in the LGBTQ community. And that is really the time when I learned what trans meant, not just the growing up in an evangelical community where I learned that, um, and I I, I really want to apologize for the triggering that's going to occur for some of the people that might be listening to this, but that gay men were predators and that lesbians were mentally ill. And once again, trans people were barely on the radar and they were misidentified constantly as prostitutes, people who were um, changing themselves for the reason of uh, self-objectification for sexual purposes. That is what I grew up knowing about the rainbow community. And that was in the limited capacity that we had exposure to. So when I moved to Los Angeles as a 24-year-old, I got such an amazing, refreshing view on the Rainbow community. And they were so welcoming and they were so proud that an active duty military member was a part of their community. And it was, you know, it was a small meetup group. And, uh, you know, I'll give her a shout out. Her name was Renee. She was so amazing. um, Just inviting me into their group, even though I identified, I was like, I think I'm a trans man. And she was like, cool. Do you want to come to our next meetup event? She didn't even care. Yeah. And I just started meeting all these people and learning all these things about myself. And that was the first time that I really had an understanding of who I was. Uh, You know, I had to leave Kentucky. I I had to get out of there. It was not it was a toxic environment for me. It was not a safe place for me. Joining the Navy, you would have thought that was that was a terrible idea, but actually was was wonderful for me.
1: When you were going through that in Los Angeles, it must have really felt like a lot of weight off your shoulders.
0: It felt like I had just started reading a book about myself.
1: Mm-hmm. So Levi, let me ask you this, and I've got to get on to Stacy's, um story as well. But if you had to say two things that you think your parents did really well as you were coming out to them, and two things that you wish they would have done differently, that it would have been a little more supportive to you,
0: what would that be? So... Two things that my parents, and that's collective parents, that's my mother and my father, and my stepmother, did well. They they all told me they the loved first me. thing. Well, yes, uh, for the most part, they you know they all told me they love me, and and that's reassuring to hear. And I would say that another thing is they they told me that they want what is best for me. And I would say that two things. And this is not collectively, this is probably just my, my parents and my father and my stepmother. You know, the other, two, the other two things was, well, yes, you love me, but there's a but on the end of that. And it's kind of connected to that you think that I'm making a huge mistake here and not listening to my actual situation in truth. I'm an informed consenting adult who has way more information about myself mm-hmm. than you do. And the assumptions that you have about me are not correct. And I, I think that's probably both of the things like, yes, you love me. And yes, you own what's best for me. But what you think is love is actually harmful right now. And what you think is what is best for me is not what is best for me. I am doing what is best for me.
1: Very interesting. Thank you. Let's go to Stacy a little bit here, and then um, we'll come back. And Stacy, you have a completely different journey. You're a mother to the pansexual to a pansexual daughter. So, tell us a little bit about that journey. Um, I know you shared with me when we were talking that being a parent of a pansexual daughter or a lesbian daughter or or a homosexual is sometimes easier than someone who's transitioning. So I want a little bit of that in there, too. And also as a parent. So you really have the view from the parent side that you can really offer. Help me here, Stacy.
2: <laughs> so when my daughter was in her junior year, the end of her junior year of high school, I highly involved with the marching band. Um, and I was actually the food mom. So, you know, yeah, you, yeah, know yeah. You, put, you have food, you have procedures, and you're the one giving it to them. You're the most famous parent and well-known parent on the field. And because of that, I spent a lot of time with these with my daughter and her friends, and I knew them all really well. So I kind of figured it out before my daughter talked to me. Basically, the conversation went, mom, I'm dating so-and-so. And I said, yes, I know. And it's perfectly fine. As long as you're happy, it's okay. It's totally okay. And then it was kind of like, let's go eat. I mean, it was very short, sweet to the point. And I feel like I was, I, I had the perfect combination of, A, I figured it out in advance. B, the person she was, my daughter was dating was a wonderful person and somebody that I was proud for my my daughter to be involved with. I think that had I not known her partner and been around and figured it out on my own, my reaction I would hope would be very similar, but I'm sure I would have been surprised. So I was very fortunate in that way. And at the beginning of this conversation, when I talked about my daughter being cisgender, that means that my daughter identifies herself as, as I do as a female. And we were assigned female at birth, just like my son, he was assigned male at birth. So that's what cisgender means. Parents of, of children who are transitioning as in, they're not cisgender, they're transgender, because they identify as a different gender than they were assigned at birth. They have a very different experience, journey, feelings than myself and my daughter even as well. And a lot of that is due to the fact that my daughter is still my daughter. She's still female, still has the same name that that she had when she was born. But I, I have many friends whose Children are transgender and they have to deal with their own transition as a parent. Between I thought I was going to have a girl, I was going to be able to do these, you know, girl activities with them and bond with them as my daughter. They were going to get married and maybe wear my wedding dress and have children. And then that particular path that the parent has in their head is not going to happen. Something different is going to happen. And what I would ask parents to whatever part of the rainbow that your child is a part of is yes, we have to look at things that we personally feel are a loss. Like for a dad, I'm not going to be able to walk my daughter down the aisle because now my daughter's transitioning to be my son or they're not going to have the life I thought they were going to have. And a lot of that, I think we as parents project onto ourselves that, for example, if if I really wanted my child to be an engineer and they decide not to and then that but but I want it but but I wanted them to be an engineer. Well, yeah, you did. You're the parent. But do they want that? I mean, it's kind of that similar expectation of what you have for your children. So, what I would say is, yes, we need to mourn those things that are not going to occur, but don't let them overshadow the many many blessings that you could have and that your and the health that your child mentally and physically and emotionally is going to have by allowing them and supporting them to be their authentic self. That is the most important thing, not what you thought you were going to get as a parent. You know, mourn those things, talk about them, deal with them, but then look at your child who's in front of you now and what their future is going to be. Because if you don't and you cut them off and you shame them, the chances are, very unfortunately, the statistics are so devastating of the self-harm and the suicidality that occurs with children who are shunned and not accepted by their parents. And I think that it's just so important that we are able to be vulnerable with our kids and to say to them, I love you. I want you to be who you are please help me to understand and be as helpful as I can be because a lot of this is new to me. And you've been on this journey yourself. You say that to your child, you've been on this journey for however long you've been on it. You coming out to me that this is where my journey starting Mm -hmm, by mm you coming out and you telling me this. And now I need time to absorb what's going on to wrap my head around it in my love for you. And so help. Let's do this together so that we can both be happy, have good communication, have a good future. i actually was on a panel last weekend. I said this, and this is like, this is when I get emotional because as a, as a person, when people say, who are you? My first thought is I'm a mom. I have two great kids. I'm a mom first. And I always tell my kids, Christmas, uh, my birthday, don't worry about. It. But if you ever forget Mother's Day, you're going to be in for it because that's the most important holiday. Because that means the most to me. So as my children, I never thought that, or I thought that just them being my children and existing and and you know doing well in school and having good friends and having a good life that that was going to be great. I had no idea that because my daughter is part of this LGBTQ plus community. She has given me a gift I never knew I needed, never knew I wanted, and never knew how big a gift it was because I have met the most amazing people, Levi being one of them in in the community. I thought as a person, you know, I'm in my 50s and I thought, yeah, I'm older than, you know, I'm not young, but that young. But I think I kind of in a little bit progressive and accepting and whatnot, but until my daughter came out to me and, and I have met more people, I, I had no idea how much growth I needed to, to uh, participate in. I had no idea how less judgmental I could be, how much more accepting I could be, how many more people I could communicate with who helped me, helped me be my better authentic self. So that is a gigantic gift that the parents get. And that is one of the biggest takeaways I would like to convey to the list, your listeners. And, you know, Denise, I give you so much credit, just like Levi said, for having this as one of your topics for your podcast, because communicating and building bridges in a lot of different ways, that's how our community is going to get better. So in this realm of LGBTQ+, these types of conversations are going to help plant those seeds so that we can all grow and that we can all be better people. You know, I thank God every day that my daughter is who she is. I would never, ch- I wouldn't change her for the world.
1: And I'm just going to say our listeners can't see you. I can see you. But throughout most of that, Stacy was tearing up and you could see in her eyes and her smile what a proud parent she is. And I guess two things I took away, well, a few other things, and I wrote some of them down, is that the transitioning child or the coming out child has to also give their parents time to transition and understand that a little bit and grow. And you gave us words to do that. I had never also heard part of the rainbow. You use that phrase, my child is part of the rainbow. I love that. And then you helped me with LGBTQ plus. So I don't really have to know all of those letters, right? I can say LGBTQ plus and be okay. Is that true? Or part of the rainbow? Yes, exactly. Okay. Trying to get this all clear. Okay. We're going on almost an hour here. I try to keep these down to 45 minutes. And I appreciate you offering the appreciation that I'm doing this, because I want to tell you, this was my scariest episode, mostly because I don't feel that with it. I feel very much like you probably felt when your daughter came out to you. I think I'm progressive. I think I understand it. And then I always learn something else. And I think that's probably in most of our life too, but I'm going public with my misunderstanding. You know, it's one thing to feel, you know, right now the Asian community is going through so much and I don't know what it feels like to be Asian or to be black. I think I have compassion, but I don't know if I have enough compassion. I think we all feel that way. I want to close by asking both of you, number one, if you have anything else to add, but then I really want each of you to give me two or three things. And I know you said a lot, Stacy. you might have to repeat some of it. Levi, I want you go, to go into the depths of your heart and think about what are the one or two things both parents of kids coming out or transitioning how they can be better parents and also just people like me. How can I become a better ally? Since Stacy, you just spoke, why don't you start Levi?
0: Okay. So what I I can, I can talk to parents real quick because what I can say to parents is your um, presence in your child's life matters and it it doesn't matter how old we are. Now it's my turn to tear up. It's okay, Levi. Sorry. It's, uh, it's hard to feel that rejection. Excuse me. <clears throat> Give me a second. <laughs> um, anyway, it's hard to feel that rejection. It's hard to feel like you have to make an excuse for yourself to exist to the people who made you exist. So, you know, wow. um, most of us didn't, you know, none of us asked to be born... We all just kind of showed up here. <laughs> Excuse me. Wow, didn't expect to get this emo- emotional.
1: Do you want to take a break and let Stacy go first, Levi? Although I love that it's coming so yeah. hard, so deep in your heart, you tell me. Okay, go ahead, yeah. Stacy. We'll take no a break. Exactly. Okay, that's it's no problem, no problem. Go ahead, Stacy.
2: You know, I all of us are we're different and we're the same. And both are a blessing and both should be recognized. You know, I have to go back to, to my ethnicity. People look at me and they don't deny that I'm Japanese because of the way I look. But when it comes to the LGBTQ plus community, there are so many people who don't realize that that is the same as your ethnicity. You were you born the way you're born. You feel the way you feel. And to have to defend yourself. If I had to defend, defend my ethnicity every day and have people tell me I'm not who I am, that would occupy so much space in my head and my heart that, it's, that I wouldn't be able to function. So why would I want to inflict that on somebody else when I'm not living their life, I'm not in their body? So that's one thing I would say is you need to believe people. When they tell you they're gay, they're straight, they're, um, cisgender, they're transgender. You need to believe them and you need to support them. And I, I feel like there is so much courage that comes out of the LGBTQ plus community for just speaking who they are and trying to live an authentic life. It should we shouldn't be saying, "Wow, they're courageous." We should be just saying they're just being like everyone else. So it kind of in one respect it makes me upset that they have to have that courage to be themselves because they sh- they, they should we should l- allow them to be themselves. So that's one thing. I'm not sure. I didn't it's okay. I said that very clearly. But that's one thing. The other thing that really never occurred to me until I think 4 years ago I was talking to someone and people in the in the rainbow community they have to come out Every time they meet somebody new, whether it's that first time they meet them or if, they're, if they have a relationship with someone, eventually down the road, they probably have to come out to them. I have never had to come out and say, I'm a cisgender, straight, female. Never. So I think when we look at it like that and we really look at the day-to-day life that people have in who are part of the, the LGBTQ plus community, that maybe will allow us to give them some grace and the
1: respect that they deserve. That sounds wonderful. Thank you, Stacy. How are you feeling, Levi? It's okay.
0: I'm feeling okay. Um, sorry, I just needed a moment. I, I think for, and, and Stacey, thank you for, for stepping in. Um, once again, an ally creating a safe space. That's what that looks like. For those of you who wanted to know what that looks like. Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm I actually gonna not go back to that specific thing I was saying. I'm just gonna I'm gonna say this. If you're a parent and you have a, a child that comes to you and speaks their truth, you reject that truth on whatever basis it is that you decide it's false, you're going to alienate that child. You know, I understand. That we need as an adult children and Denise, I know that your podcast is specifically targeted to parents of adult children, but once again, we're still your children, even when we are adults and you are still the authority in our lives, even into our adulthood, even to I'm, I'm in my late thirties now, I have never found a substitute for my father's voice.
1: That makes perfect sense. You know, we did a wedding podcast and people were saying why do the girls and their mothers it's it's very similar but very different. It's in your DNA to want to please your parents. It it all falls into place right here and I wish all of them could see you. I am going to try to get photos of you because Levi looks like a very a 25-year-old handsome man. I would have never guessed you were in your Did you say 40s or late 30? What did you say? Uh, I just turned
0: 38 a few weeks ago.
1: Yeah, so late 30s. I would have guessed he was a a 24-year-old handsome man. Why, thank you. Both of you. You're welcome. I also want to make sure that it's okay that I share some of the documents you sent me from PFLAG on the episode notes, because I think they were very helpful to me. Um, And since we're all in Denver, and hopefully everyone's vaccinated, I'm hoping sometime this summer, even the fall, I would love... To have the opportunity to meet both of you, whether it's for a drink or a cup of coffee or whatever it might be. I've enjoyed learning about you, sharing with you, and growing with you. So I thank you both from the bottom of my heart for joining us today. Thank you so much, Denise. This has been great. Thank you,
0: Denise. I I do really appreciate this. And uh, you know what? I just can I plug P Flag here for a second? Absolutely. You plug away. <laughs> Uh, as Stacy said, we have 300 chapters nationwide. We are a global presence in the world. If you are an LGBTQ community member or if you're an ally and you live anywhere in the world, please, if, if, as long as you have internet access, which I would assume you do because you're listening to this podcast, please go to pflag.org, look up the chapter nearest you. Or just look up any chapter at all. If you need support, if you need resources, if you need education, if you want to learn how to advocate, if you want to start your own chapter, we are here for you and we want to assist you. We want to. We want you to be a part of our organization. It's people like you, people who listen to these types of podcasts for self-betterment, people like Denise who decide to do this work and be vulnerable in their allyship that really make a difference for this community. We have a long way to go. We've come a long way since Stonewall, 50 years, but we have a long way to go and we need your help.
1: There's no better way to end the episode than on that. Thank you so much, Stacy and Levi. I know this conversation was somewhat of an emotional journey for both of you. You both shared so many things that I know will enlighten and educate our listeners. We did spend a good deal of time on language and maybe not as much as we needed on the journey. So we may have to revisit this topic down the road. I hope you both can do that. Also, Stacy, you were so right when you said to me, most people never have to come out and say who they are. But in the LGBT community plus, they have to come out every time they meet someone new. Something for all of us to think about. I hope by listening to Stacy and Levi today, you have a deeper and more compassionate understanding for the LGBTQ community. I encourage all of you, if you're interested, to do some research on becoming an advocate. And I'm sure all of you could tell from the podcast, I was very drawn to these two people. They were warm, honest, and emotional. And I want to personally thank them for that. If you want to learn more about PFLAG or become an ally for the LGBTQ plus community, the website for the National Organization is pflag.org. That's p-f-l-a-g.org. And then you can search there for your local group. Stacy and Levi also shared some literature from PFLAG that I'll share in our episode notes. Thank you both again very much. I also mentioned in the podcast a documentary that Katie Kerr produced called Gender Revolution: A Journey with Katie Kerr. It's a two-hour documentary where she sets out to explore the rapidly evolving complexities of gender identity. I found it very interesting. I'll share a link in the episode notes. And for our listeners, thank you so much again for joining. Please follow us on our social media platforms and email us at fightyourtonguepodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear your ideas for future episodes, and we want you to be part of the discussion. In two weeks, on August 6th, we talked to Dr. Larry Nelson, one of the nation's top researchers on the emerging adult stage of life. Then two weeks after, on August 20th, we actually talked to some young adults about the stage of life, their challenges, and their thoughts. Stay tuned. Thank you again so much to Connie Fisher, who's our audio engineer, and thank you all again for listening. And remember, Sometimes you just have to bite your tongue.